Hi there, global citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around doing something in the world. I'm your host, Florence Adu, and I am in sunny, sweaty, but always beautiful Accra, Ghana. We are, I think it is really the raining season. We had some nice showers yesterday that washed through and cooled it down a bit. So typically, this is the shorter raining season, and then the longer one starts in June. So we're taking the water where we can, because water is well, as we are beginning to understand in this world of climate change. So let me go to a place where there is a different kind of water that has been flowing a bit recently. And uh, my next guest has diverse experience spanning over 15 years in the global communications industry, where she's held senior level positions across Europe, the Americas, and Africa. She is British born and raised with roots in the Caribbean and currently lives and works in New York City, where she owns an impressive PR and communications firm and works with Fortune 100 companies, Africa-focused tech startups, heritage brands, and African organizations in multiple international markets. Claudine Moore, welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Hi, Florence. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yay. Home from my Yay. other home. Direct from my other yeah. home. Yeah. BK stand up. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. 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 So Claudine, let's jump right in. Tell us more about where you're from, where you mm -hmm. are local, and what is your craft? Where I am local. Ah, that's a really wonderful way of putting it. Where I'm local. Let's see if I can... Uh... Where I'm local. Well, I'll start from where I'm from. So I was, as you mentioned in the intro, and thank you for that lovely intro. I was born and raised in the UK. I grew up in a place called Hertfordshire, which is the people in London call it the countryside and call it the sticks. But people <laughs> in like real countryside in real sticks don't consider it countryside or sticks. But it certainly <laughs> is like what's considered like the green belt of London. So it's definitely like the suburbia. So that's where I was, I was born and raised. My parents are from the Caribbean. They're from Barbados and Jamaica. And my household has always, my, my parents actually, are big Pan-Africanists. So I grew up in a household that was, I grew up in, in an external environment outside the household that was very lily white UK. But in our household, once you step to the, threshold into our home, my home was very much a home that was steeped in culture, black culture. So that was Caribbean, African, etc. So from a very young age, my parents told myself and my two sisters that remember, this is who you are. You are, yes, you're born in the UK and you're British, but your parentage is Caribbean and your heritage is African. And always start with your heritage. So just remember that you are three African girls. And so even from a very young age, when you're like four or five and your mother tells you, your mother and father tell you X, you believe X. So from a very, very young age, I've always grounded myself in my Caribbean and African heritage quite firmly from a very, very young age. Even when I remember being 13 years old and um, at high school and I just, you know, again, a very lily white uh, environment and... I remember at 13 being like, I just want to have pen friends from anywhere in Africa. So I remember putting an, advert, an ad, putting an advert in a magazine, a magazine that if you're over 35 and from the UK, you'll remember this magazine called Blues and Soul. I put an advert in a magazine called Blues and Soul saying, you know, I'm 14. I'm looking for pen pals from anywhere in Africa. And I got all these responses from Botswana, from Zimbabwe, from Swaziland, from all these places in Southern Africa. 
And I ended up writing to some of those people for like 10 years, but I got like so many responses that I ended up giving them to people in my, girls in my class. I went to an all girls school. So I gave them to girls in my class. So all the girls in my class, all of a sudden, our whole like class had these pen friends, <laughs> pen pals from different African countries. So anyway, fast forward, I've lived in um, New York City for, you know, just more than 15 years, but I leave it at 15 plus years. So when I'm asked the question, where, and I've spent a lot of time in, over the last 10 years, I spent a lot of time in Africa. I checked my passport the other day and I think I got up to 30. I've been to Nigeria 30 times in the last decade. Wow. Um, yeah, 30 times in the last decade. I also lived in Nigeria for just under two years. So I spent a lot of time in Africa. So when asked the question, where's local to me? That's such a fantastic question because there are lots of places that feel very local to me. When I'm in Every country I've been to in West Africa, not so much East Africa, but every country I've been to in West Africa, I can't explain it in an eloquent way, but I always touch down and I feel like I'm at home, whether mm-hmm. whether it's Senegal, whether it's Ghana, whether it's Cameroon, whether it's Nigeria, any place I've been to in West Africa, the minute I touch, I feel like I'm home and, yeah. it, and it feels local to me. My two islands in the Caribbean, Barbados and Jamaica, they feel local to me. Yeah. <laughs> My neighbourhood in Hertfordshire where I'm from, that feels local to me. Brooklyn now feels local to me. So your podcast is Global Citizen, right? And Global, uh, uh-huh. yeah. yeah, so I, you, you have one sitting in front of you. Yes, <laughs> indeed, 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 indeed. You told us where you're from and where you're local. Yeah. So what is your craft? Minecraft. So I am a PR and communications person, executive leader, and I've been doing PR and communications for, well, yeah, for well over 15 years at this point. I say over 15 years just because I'm not aging myself. So it's well over 15 years. (laughs) I just say 15 plus because I'm not aging myself. So it's 15 plus years. And really, so I started out, originally, my background and my training is not in PR at all. I went to Durham University in the UK, and I did a master's in psychotherapy and counseling. So my master's is nothing to do with what, you know, the work that I do now. But when I moved to New York, and I was looking for a psychotherapy job, I was temping. And where I was temping, I just suddenly found myself temping in the PR department of the British Tourist Authority. Mm. and I loved being in the PR department I was just some admin assistant like cutting those days you were cutting things out of newspapers and sticking them into a a press clippings book back in those days but that's what I started and I just enjoyed it I really enjoyed it and I said to the head of the PR department at that time oh you know I really like PR I think I want to do it and she was very encouraging and the rest is history so I started out my career doing PR and PR and communications for ad agencies in New York City So I started out immediately, I started my career, I immediately was in the big agency world, which was actually, you know, a lot of people strive to get into the big agency world, but I was very blessed and fortunate enough that my first foray into PR and communications was in the global PR and communications department for McCann Erickson, you know, one of the big PR Mm. agencies, uh, Mm -hmm. one of the big ad agencies. And that sort of was the trajectory of my career. So yeah, that's what I've done since. So I, I come from a big agency world, and then I've kind of I've sort of done other things from there, but that's mm-hmm. my background. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think in industry, they, they call it classically trained because my training was in the, in the big agents, big PR agencies and big um, ad agencies. That's where I, my training ground was really and my start. Right. right, right, right. So for those of us who are kind of like, what exactly is PR? I mean, people mm-hmm. say PR, PR, PR. So, so what exactly? Because when you said that your training doesn't really lend itself, I was like, Mm, I think it does because mm. what you're doing communicating is all about 
being in the minds of people and being able to well, reach them. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so what exactly is PR? That's very true. Mm-hmm. So PR stands for public relations. And mm-hmm. you could also use that word relations to be public perception. Mm-hmm. Um, how the public, really in layman's terms, how the public views your brand, how the public views you even, you know, yeah. how you as an individual, how the public, you know, when the public thinks about Pepsi, for example, what comes into your mind? What comes into your mind when you think about Pepsi? So it's all about providing information, but it's also about shaping and creating the perception of your brand, and which essentially is the story of your brand, mm-hmm. and just making sure that audiences are fully aware of what your brand stands for, what you're communicating, what your story is, what your mission is, where you, what your vision is, where you're going, um, what your values are. And just communing all, communicating all of those things using PR. So back in the day, people used to think that PR was like, oh, you know, you're going to some like launch event somewhere and some swanky party. And I'm not saying that PR isn't that because pre-COVID and, and back in the day, PR very much was a lot of that. And depending on the industry that you're in, PR is still very much that in the virtual space. But I've always done more of the corporate communications. So really, you are conveying whether you're working for a fashion brand so I've worked for fashion brands whether it's been like a Ralph Lauren or um, more recently Louis Vuitton you are communicating not just this is a new bag this is a new perfume but you're also communicating the values of the brand you're communicating the personality of the leaders at an organization so a lot of times many years ago CEOs were very faceless you just knew that an organization had a CEO now CEOs are personalities because people are drawn to personalities. So if you're a CEO, your CEO has to have a personality or a perception, both internally and externally. So the public relations, the other side of that, I said PR and communications, communications is both internal and external. Mm -hmm. And especially in the virtual world that we're living in, internal communications is a big, big thing for brands, because especially everyone's working remotely, how do you still keep the camaraderie and the team work amongst your employees and the team, the employee morale and the employee identity when you're in a virtual space. So internal communications is even more important now for the brand because how your employees see the brand from the inside is how they speak about it to their friends, their network, their social platforms. So brands have to also understand that their internal, that their employees are their biggest brand advocates. Therefore, you also have to make sure that internally you're communicating internally to your employees so that they are understanding the company that they're working for and who Mm -hmm. they're working with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which I'm assuming is easier with smaller organizations. Mm -hmm. It gets a little bit more involved when you're working with bigger organizations. Yeah. Yeah. It gets a lot more involved when you're working with bigger organizations and also like, so take from 2016 to 2018, I was I was leading the internal communications for Louis Vuitton in in the Americas. So that meant North America, Canada, USA, South America, and the Caribbean. And you have two internal audiences there. You have those who work in the store, those who Mm -hmm. work in maisons, those who work in retail, in the actual stores, and those who work in corporate. And they are completely different. You have 20% who work in corporate and 80% who work in the maisons. So what you're communicating, how you're communicating, and how it's been received by the members of staff that work in the actual Louis Vuitton stores 
is very different to somebody who's on the maison floor. It's very different to somebody who's sitting behind a desk in the corporate office. And what they need to know is very different. So you also have multiple different audiences within different organizations. Mm -hmm. So in that case, you have the corporate and you have retail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a little tiny machine that just like. It is. Through. It is. And, 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 yeah. and, it's, and it's complicated because you have to always understand not just what you're telling them, but like how, where they are when they receive it. So if you work in retail, you're not able to be on the shop floor looking at your phone all the time. Right. You only get that one hour in your lunch break where you're back of store, you're back of house, and you've got one hour lunch break. And that's when you're probably going to read in a, read corporate information, right? When you're in your lunch break. Mm-hmm. Realistically, people aren't going to do it outside of their lunch break. They're, I'm at work. This is where I'm going to do it. So you have to think about how do I capture them during that one hour where they may not even want to read anything from corporate anyway. So I need to be able to think, I probably got about 30 minutes of that one hour, maybe even 15 minutes of that one hour. What do I want them to know? What's the most important thing? What's the takeaways? So you've got to think about everything from visually how it looks to from a messaging perspective, what you're saying. So it's um, PR and communications. It's as much visual um, as it is verbal in terms of the messaging as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. So how then do you measure that kind of impact, particularly for an internal? Like, you know, when it's external, particularly now in the digital mm-hmm. age, you have all of these web metrics and that type of thing, mm-hmm. which I'm mm-hmm. assuming you have some kind of similar thing internally, but mm-hmm. how do you really measure internally? Yeah, so, I mean, that's a good question. And it's like the age old question in PR, like how do you measure the impact? Mm-hmm. And I guess the first thing to think about is like, well, what is impact? So impact for different organizations could mean different things. Let's just say you're a tech startup and you want to, you you know, you've done a series A, but you want to do a series B. And as a result, you want to raise your profile, right? So you want to get the whole, the idea is that the more you raise your visibility, whether it's tech press, whether it's industry press, whether it's global media, the more you raise your visibility, the more investors are going to see you and the more investors see you and they see you getting all this publicity, the perception therefore is, is that you're doing well, you're an organization that people want to talk about. And so therefore they will invest in you at the, well, obviously they're going to look at your books, but they're going to invest in you based on both your books and the perception of your brand, right? So it's all about perception. So the impact there, because somebody could be like, well, the impact is, okay, if we get a series B and we manage to fundraise X amount of money, how do you then quantify that the PR you got helped you get X amount more, mm-hmm. more money, more investment than if you didn't have it? Like, how do you really quantify that? It's hard. It's hard to quantify that. Sure. It's the age old question in PR. Like, how do you quantify the impact? What I would say is that we do have what we call um, share of voice where you have different, now we're communicating in a digital space. So you can actually measure sentiment. So Mm. there is software, and especially with AI, this is possible with software, you can measure online sentiment. So what's being said about your brand? Is it positive? Is it negative? Where it's positive, where it's coming from? Is that are the positive sentiments and comments coming from certain demographic groups, certain influencers? If it's coming from certain demographic groups, within those demographic groups or that within that, that demographic group, who are the individuals who are the biggest sort of, who are the biggest voices, if you like, on a particular issue. So that helps you really quantify, really sort of, um, not quantify, but really have an understanding 
of the share of voice, who is saying what and with what sentiment, who is overtly negative, who's overtly positive, etc. And that helps you because if you see that a certain group was overtly negative about a certain topic or product or event or person, and then you see over time that the sentiment has gone from being overtly negative to then neutral, let's say, or even you know above neutral, positive, then you could say, well, that's attributed to PR. But again, how much is attributed to PR? Who knows? It could also be attributed to news, just news that you yeah. see on television, yeah. which is not necessarily yeah. always, news is not necessarily always well, I wouldn't say it's not, not PR because news is PR, but news sometimes is the telling of factual things, right? This is the news. Mm-hmm. It should be. Anyway, it should be before this disinformation <laughs> um, uh, or disinformation, but it's a presentation of facts. ABC has happened. Whereas with PR, it is about facts, yes, but it is about putting those facts within a certain context to create a story and to create a narrative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's just not just raw facts. You know, you're creating the story of what do these what do these facts mean in the context of X? Right, 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 right. So, yeah, I can imagine how challenging it would be to say, oh, well, we spent twenty thousand dollars and, you know, we got PR in our sales because I, I would imagine that they do it by metrics. Right. Just like marketing. So when marketing mm-hmm. you spent this much and you got this much, so then that's how you value mm-hmm. it. But PR is as you said, like you're measuring sentiment, you're measuring certain things that it's yeah. bigger than just the marketing bottom line. So PR is yeah. a function of the marketing and communications, but it's not the same as far as my mind thinks about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there. I will just to add to that, I will say that, so for example, there's a client that we're working with at the moment in the agri-tech space out of Nigeria. And we've been doing some work with them recently. And what you'll see is, there are, you know, you can use certain analytical tools where you can see their online visibility. So, mm. for example, we entered them for, for an award, for example, right? And they recently won an award, a pretty big African tech award. And then when we went online and did some, you know, back-end um, data mining, we saw that, you know, it was April, sorry, it was February, the line of sort of mentions was pretty level. Then all of a sudden, the day the award was announced, we saw this massive spike in the chatter and conversation and engagement with the brand online. So mm-hmm. what you do see is that, yeah, you do see, you know, when there's an article, you will see a rise in online visibility and online engagement. But what happens after that is the question, right? Because it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, people are looking at your brand, yeah. but is that turning into, and then I went and bought the dress? Or they're right. looking into your brand and it's like, and then I went and said to my, you know, CEO, we need to invest in this company. That end piece of it, mm-hmm. how can we, whatever that action is, investment, purchasing, attending an event, how do you really, really manage it? You don't really manage it because that's in the mind of the person, right? Sure. So if, I, if, you, if you suddenly go to an event based on, you know, you, you listen to a podcast, right? And then you heard about an event on this podcast and then you decide to go to the event based on that podcast, the only way you're going to know that the person is attending that event based on the podcast is if you do those questions. How did I'm you hear about it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then it's mm-hmm. like, I listened to Florence's podcast and that's how I heard about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I did a podcast interview in 2019, actually, my first podcast interview, and it was with um, uh, Provoke Media, an industry PR media platform. And I was talking about African PR And during that interview, I mentioned that I was speaking at a conference in Rwanda, like a couple of months later. 
when I was at that conference in Rwanda, this um, lovely young lady um, approached me and she said, I'm here at this conference because of you. She was from Uganda. She, she's a young PR executive, very, very talented young lady um, out of Uganda. She was listening to the podcast. She saw it was this black woman talking about African PR. She listened to it. She heard about the conference, looked it up and was like, I'm going to that conference. And she came up to me and that's when, and I met her in Rwanda. Lovely nice. young, young woman. But that's just an example of that is an ROI on that podcast, right? Yeah. But unless you told me, who knows? No, right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's a great, great, great example. So speaking of traveling and moving around, so of course you grew up in the UK. Mm-hmm. And so this is where I ask my why the where question. So how did you mm-hmm. come to be living, working and playing where you live? So I'm currently in New York City. That's where I'm doing this podcast from. So it's quite actually a pretty lovely story. So my father is from Barbados. My grandparents left Barbados in the 50s and moved to the United Kingdom. My dad was born in Barbados, but he moved to England, I think, in 1958 with with my grandparents. My grandparents then lived in England for like 20 years and then just decided that they didn't want to stay. (laughs) They liked it, but I guess, you know, they wanted something different. Mm-hmm. So I guess in what one of the things that's definitely in our blood as a family is a lot of boldness to travel and to try and live different places. Because my grandparents moved from Barbados to England, lived in England for 20 years, and then moved from England to New York City. So oh, they wow. immigrated, they've been immigrants in two different places. They were immigrants from the Caribbean to England and then England to the um, America. And so when they you know settled here in, in New York, they said to my mum and dad, they were like, look, in those days, it was, you know, if you had a green card, you could get a green card for someone else in your family. Yeah. So mm-hmm. my grandparents got a green card for my dad and his family. Mm-hmm. And that included my mum and my sisters. And so I've had a green card since I was about 17 years old. Okay. So I used to come to New York all the time as a teenager to see my grandparents and spend time here more or less every summer. And that was a culture shock coming from like Hertfordshire to like <laughs> Hertfordshire to Brooklyn. And that was old school Brooklyn. So that was a big shock then. But I didn't move here at the time because my mother's a professor and my both my parents' education, as with a lot of immigrants, education is the most important thing to all of us. So they were very adamant that I do all my education in the UK. And okay. then after I've done my education in the UK, if I want to then leave and come to America, I, you know, I could. Mm-hmm. So I came to the US after I did my master's. I then came to the US. So when I came here, I already had a green card. So I didn't have to worry okay. about paperwork or anything like that. And then mm-hmm. when I moved here, I transferred that into becoming a, uh, I became a citizen. So well, I wasn't really interested in becoming a citizen, but when when you've got the chance to vote for a black president, that mm-hmm. can do a lot of things to motivate mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. So I became a citizen just literally because I thought I want to vote in this election so I can vote for Barack. So that is the reason I became a citizen. So I'm now a dual citizen of both the UK and US. Nice. Um, yeah, but I also, in terms of me working, living and working, um, when I moved to Nigeria and lived in much of Nigeria, I was working, uh, leading the global communications for Tony Elumelu out of, based out of Lagos. And that's all handled like work visas handled by the company. So I had some work visa situation that they use for expats. So mm. I lived like the expat lifestyle in Nigeria, which is interesting as well. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So we know how you made it to New York. You mentioned living in 
in Nigeria. So tell yeah. us a little bit more about that experience. And for those, and tell yeah. us who Tony Elomelo is, because I'm not okay. sure if everyone knows who he is, but tell us more about that. Okay. So Tony Elomelo, whose birthday it was yesterday. So if he's listening or anybody he knows listening, happy birthday to the ultimate ogre on top, Tony Elomelo, yeah. yesterday. <laughs> um, so Tony Elomelo, he is one of Africa's biggest business leaders. His description goes by, he is an economist. He's an entrepreneur. He's a philanthropist. He has a foundation called the Tony Elumeli Foundation. And he is, you know, one of Africa's billionaire leaders, really. He has a company called Hairs Holdings and a foundation called the Tony Elumeli Foundation. And the Tony Elumeli Foundation started a program in 2015 where they were going to give seed funding to every year, give seed funding every year to a thousand entrepreneurs from across Africa over a 10-year period. And so he basically committed $100 million of his own money in 2015 to empowering and supporting African entrepreneurs from anywhere across the continent. You've got to be in the continent. So he has a company called Hairs Holdings, which is a private investment company, and they invest in everything from hospitality to real estate to agriculture to financing, etc. So he is... so. I basically worked for him. He invited me over to, you know, leave the US and go and lead his global PR and communications from, yeah, in 2014. So that's what I did. And how that came about really is because um, this is why the power of Twitter, I really (laughs) did an article for Black Enterprise. And the article for Black Enterprise, I pitched Black Enterprise and I said, let me do an article. They weren't doing much Africa coverage. And I was like, let me do an article that speaks about the 10 top Africans on Twitter and the 10 top African men on Twitter and the 10 top African women on Twitter. So I just did all this research into all these leaders. And I also selected leaders and people that I wanted to work with. So I'm like, well, he's really good and she's really good. So I did that whole thing, did the article and, you know, put it up. And then when the article was published by Black Enterprise, I then reached out to all of the people I put on the list. And I was like, look, I've just put you on this list. And obviously everyone's excited to get press coverage in the U.S., So they then retweeted it and shared it. And then that's how I got onto Tony's radar. And his PR person at the time reached out to me and she was like, are you doing any other articles? And I'm like, well, I'm not really a journalist. I mean, I am a journalist. (laughs) I mean, I do write. I have written for media outlets, but I'm really a PR person. And then that's how I got into the whole, into their sniper. And then I'm on the board of Social Media Week Lagos. I've been on the board of Social Media Week Lagos, which is the biggest tech and social media conference in the continent. I've been on the board of that since 2012. And so every year I was going to Lagos and I was doing masterclasses and presentations about PR, communications and social media to the attendees of Social Media Week Lagos. And Tony would send a lot of his staff over to the conference. Mm. So So one day I got, and one of his staff was attending one of my masterclasses and I got a phone call that says, Tony Elimelu wants you to come and meet with him. So I'm like... Okay, <laughs> so, I, so I go and I meet with him and okay. I tell him what I was doing. And he said, Madame, I want you to come here tomorrow and do that presentation for my entire staff tomorrow morning at 7.30 a.m. And I was like, okay, <laughs> all right. So then wow. 7.30 a.m., you know, you get there 7 a.m. You don't get there 7.30, you get there right. 7 a.m. Yeah. Did this presentation and then after that, he was like, okay, I want you to work with us in some capacity. And a, and a year later, I was moved out to Nigeria and I was leading his global PR and communications. And what was the experience like? It was an incredible experience. It was a great experience. It was also 
tough experience in the sense that you are getting used to working a very different work environment, working in the US or working in the UK, very, very, very different. You know, Lagos is a tough place to live. Mm -hmm. It's a tough place to live. They made it very comfortable for me because, you know, I, I had an apartment that was close to the office. I had a car, I had driver, I had all of that stuff. So I was very much cushioned to the environment but that was by design so that you're cushioned to the environment so you can focus on the work. Because mm -hmm. if you have to deal with all kinds of environmental stuff, the hard stuff of living in Lagos, then how am I going to focus on doing a good job for you? Mm -hmm. So they're very good at, they were great about that. But it's not, it's not an easy, Lagos isn't an easy place to live and work because it's very stressful. But yep. what I will say is that if you come from somewhere like New York City and you've lived and worked in New York City, I think coming from that and going to somewhere like Lagos is easier because I kind of feel like Lagos is like the New York city of Africa. Yeah. Um, because it really, it, I mean, it's kind of similar in the sense that it's congested, it's hustle and bustle. New York, I beg, please. New York is organized chaos, right? Mm -hmm. Lagos is semi-organized chaos. Mm -hmm. So that's how I look at both of them. So mm -hmm. it was a great experience. Um, you know, included, one of the highlights for me was going to Davos and leading the, mm. the global communications for Tanya Lamello. He, he was essentially leading the African contingent. So by virtue of doing the PR and communications for Tony and the foundation and his holdings that year, I was essentially like leading the global comms for the African contingent that year. And that was a fantastic experience. And, you know, uh, it's incredible experience. Going to Davos was amazing. So definitely like cross off the bucket list yeah. but it was it was good you're leading the communications of a leader who is at the forefront of change in Africa and so as a result of that I have to say it was and remains one of the it was tough I'm not going to say it wasn't because working with a man like that it's not he's got an agenda and he's laser focused yeah. right so he's a tough person to work for yes but I've never been prouder to work for somebody than mm. I was working for Tony. I've never been prouder mm -hmm. to work for a Black African leader whose tagline for himself is that I was born in Africa, I was educated in Africa, I was raised in Africa, and I've made all my money in Africa. Not many people can say that. People can yeah. say, I was born in Africa, but I went to university at Oxford, or I went to Harvard, or right. wherever. No, straight through. Africa, 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 Africa. And he's made him become a billionaire. All the way through, he's done that. Mm -hmm. So to work for an African leader who was at the forefront of the African agenda in terms of pushing the continent, for allowing and facilitating the continent and Africa to regain its place in the world. And I use that word regain because it's, you know, it's not it's like true. there's never been leaders yeah. in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important for people to always like to say that often because it's not about where we want to go. We want to get back to. We've been there before and we're going to get there again. Mm -hmm. So to work with somebody like that, I can tell you, I couldn't be prouder to work for somebody as tough as it was. Nice, 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 nice. I mean, you've earned your stripes because of all of the cities, particularly in West Africa, Lagos is the most challenging. So to be able to live there and survive and do your thing. That survive is, the Wahala. Yes. yes, exactly, exactly. Because it's I mean, you had a soft landing, but I, I would agree with you in my experiences. And I, you know, I remember we hung out at the first social media yes. week in Lagos. Yes, 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 yes. And yes. 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 it, it was you, me and Somi, right? Yes. Somi was with us too. Yep. Yep. yep, 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 yep. Just going. So it was, that was fun. That was like, yeah. and it's now how many years later that it's still a very, yeah. I went last year. Remember, we were supposed to meet yeah. and do this last yes. year. Yes, 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 yes. yes. That's right. Yes. Wow. Yeah. No, a year later. 
Yeah. So, um, and what a year later. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's excellent. And um, I want to talk a little bit more about social media and and media Mm. in the digital space. But before that, talking about living abroad and living different places, Mm. I want to ask you my global speak question. Mm. So we we want to hear what you hear. So I asked my guests to share a word, phrase, or saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you came to value it as global speak. Mm. Okay. So I have a fondness for Nigeria and Nigerians. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a soft spot for three places in West Africa, Nigeria, Ghana, and Senegal, all for very different reasons. Okay. Ghana, because it, Ghana was my first, the first time I went to Sub-Saharan Africa was in Ghana. And it was going to Ghana in 2010 that changed the trajectory of my whole entire life when I went to Ghana. And that's a whole other story for another podcast. But yeah. so those two countries have, have um, uh, you know, in West Africa, have a very special place in my heart and in life. Um, but Nigeria and Nigerians have so many funny things that they say. So one of the things that they say, and this is me completely thinking top of my head, is that they always say, we move, but mm-hmm. we move. Mm-hmm. And it just means get on with it. Get on mm-hmm. with it. No matter what's happening, no matter what's going on, I beg, we move. Meaning you just keep going. Uh-huh. And I love that phrase, we move. And I probably use that phrase 10 times a day. <laughs> different things will happen. And it's just, we move. It just speaks to resilience, right? Mm-hmm. It just speaks mm-hmm. to resilience. It just speaks through focus. It just speaks to cutting through. So they have that phrase, we move, which is uh, a phrase that I like. Is this what you meant by, by local phrases? That, oh, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. There's another phrase that they use in, um, in like, Nigeria. And they may say this in other places. I just know this to be things that I've heard being in Nigeria. And this phrase, for me, the way I take it, it just speaks to ignoring voices. So there's a phrase that they have, that's their own. That's their own. That's their business. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Don't mind mm-hmm. them. That's mm-hmm. their own. Mm-hmm. And I think in the world of social media and in the world of so many opinions about you and who you are and what you do and how people perceive you, at the end of the day, that's their own. It has nothing to do with you. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It has no. Yeah. It, so, so I think I've always been somebody who I've always known that I've, you know, I guess it's middle child syndrome, never taken the conventional path. I've always, if everybody is going left, Claudine's always going right. Back in the day, that was never seen as the cool thing was always to do what everyone else was doing. I've never been like that. Yeah. And as a result, you get some people who have all kinds of perceptions about you, but I've never cared about that. I've always been like, that's their own. Right. So when I heard that phrase in Nigeria, whether that is what it exactly means, I think it's the phrase that can mean different things in different contexts, but the energy behind those two phrases yeah. um, are things that you know I have always been part of me. And I just like the way they're phrased in sort of, Niger pigeon, if you like, or Niger. Yeah. 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 I like them. Those are good. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Nice. So that's their own. And we move. <laughs> and we move. Yeah. And we move. Yeah. Exactly. We move. Yeah. Which I use, I think, if, if anybody follows me on Twitter, you'll see that I always use hashtag we move with the emoji of the of the arm. You know, mm-hmm. the emoji of the emoji mm-hmm. with the arm doing that. Mm-hmm. I always use hashtag we move with the the arm, um, what do you call it? Bicep. Yeah, with yeah. the with the curled bicep. Yeah, we move. So I think, you know, a lot of when you decide to take an uncharted path or a path that people will tell you you can't do, you shouldn't do. I had so many people who actively discouraged me as a person um with Caribbean parentage to do anything in the Africa space actively. Mm. Like you're not going to do it. You don't speak any local languages. You're not from any, you're not African. 
And, you know, when anybody tells me that I'm not African, I have a literal, a physical reaction to that mm-hmm. because to me, you're telling me everything that is, to me, you're saying something that's, it's like, it's like telling me as a black woman, you're white. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just ridiculous. Like you're going to tell me I'm not a black, I'm not an African woman. When I, I, my skin is African. My skin is black. I'm an African person. I walk the world. People see Africa when they look at me. So at the end of the day, because black is Africa, right? So at the end of the day, when anybody, people actively discouraged me. I remember going to a, a conference once at Columbia University, their African economic conference. And, you know, people say, oh, where are you from? You know, where are you from? And um, I was standing there. It was myself and uh, another black person and, a, and a, a white person guy was there. And somebody was talking to all three of us and they said, where are you from? So one person said, oh, he's Ghanaian. Didn't ask the white guy where he was from and said to me, oh, where are you from? And I was like, oh, you know, I, was, I, you know, I always say I was born and raised in England, but my parents are from the Caribbean. And he was like, so what are you doing here? And I was what? like, like, yeah, he's like, so what are you doing here? He goes, you're Caribbean, what are you doing here? And kind of laughed. And in my head, I thought to myself, you're going to ask me what I'm doing here. You're not going to ask the white guy what he's doing here. Yeah. You're what? not going to ask the white guy why he's here. But why I'm here as a, Carib- as a person of Caribbean, back- of Caribbean parentage, why I'm here, yeah. I'm black. He's yeah. white. You're not going to ask him. Right. Now that speaks to so many, there's so much to unpack in exactly. that one interaction Um, And we could have a whole conversation about, you know, the current sort of, you know, climate in Africa in terms of other races working in there and so on. But I will say that I was told, like, you don't have any family there. You don't speak any local languages. You're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to do this. But I actually found that actually worked to my advantage because there's not, no, when I go for a job, um, you know, or when I've gone for a, there's no like, well, you're, I'm Yoruba, you're Igbo. And so I've got to make sure Mm -hmm. I hire someone. Mm-hmm. my tribe or whatever mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't have any of that because I'm just like neutral I just mm-hmm. cut through that but mm-hmm. I will say that there are many people whom you know and the lots of them sort of, sort of like African people too who would like yeah, we do say, you know, discourage me from doing it mm-hmm. and you know I used to always be like well I mean okay I'm still gonna do it like it's a passion for me you know yeah. that's why I came my story when I was 13 years old seeking pen pals from Africa my my love and connection and draw to Africa didn't start with Black Panther do you know what I mean? Right, it didn't start right. Like it didn't start like that. It's been in me for a very, very, very long time. Yeah. Um, and when something's in you and it's a purpose and you're, you know that you're moving on purpose and you're driven by purpose, it doesn't really matter what anybody says and what anybody tries to do to get in your way mm-hmm. or don't hire her, she, you know, or don't hire her firm or whatever. I mean, you know, maybe somebody would say that to somebody and then they don't hire the firm, but then you get a bigger contract with somebody else. So I firmly believe in moving and purpose. But when you do decide to move on purpose, again, it's like you're doing a lot of, you're stepping out a lot on faith. Mm-hmm. And faith is something you can't necessarily, you just step out on, it's not what you see, but you just yeah. have this innate faith. Right. And sometimes your faith in, can be shaken because it's nothing that you can see. Mm-hmm. It's something almost feel, it can almost feel like, oh, am I wishing upon, you know, am I wishing on unicorns and rainbows? Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And mm-hmm. you have to really think about what faith means for you at a very deep level, what it means for you and what your your faith is steeped in. And just, you know, always stick to that, no matter what people are saying, no matter what the current business climate is like. Mm-hmm. Just know that when you're working, you're walking in purpose. You get you'll, there. You'll get there, yeah. And nothing you ever do is wasted. Nothing you it's ever true. do. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Every opportunity is either a lesson or a blessing. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, you, or we are a lesson or a blessing for someone else. So we're we're here for right. others, and then we and, and within yeah. all of those, you're yeah, blessing, blessing, keep it moving. Yeah, 
Yeah. And that's so true, Florence, because I think one of the things that I struggled with when I first started out in my business is that, you know, you'd get a prospective client and you do the proposal and everything's go, 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 go. Then for some reason, some reasons that you don't necessarily ever know the reason, but for some reason you don't get the contract, you don't get the new client, or you are this close and all of a sudden they didn't have the budget or whatever. And for a few years, every time I didn't get a piece of business that I thought was going to get, it would take me weeks to recover because I'd be so upset. I'd be like, I take it so personally. I'd be like, but I thought it was a guaranteed and mm. but nothing's ever guaranteed until the check hits your account, until the money hits mm-hmm. your account. I would mm-hmm. take it so personally and I would be so upset. It would take me weeks to recover from stuff like that, from working on a proposal and then not getting it. It would take me weeks to recover from that. And then what I began to find out as the years went by is that, you know what, when I began, and Steve Jobs has always said this, he's always said, you don't connect the dots in that moment you connect the dots when you're looking back. Mm. And so years would pass and I'd look back and I'd be like, thank God I didn't get that contract Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. that would have led me to do that. You know, Mm -hmm. thank God I didn't do that. I mean, and that's in business and and personal life too. It's like, thank Mm -hmm. God I broke up with him because Mm -hmm. if I didn't break up with him, I wouldn't be with him. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Right. (laughs) Or or her or whomever. So so, so at the time it feels like heartbreak, but when you look back, you're like, thank God, you know, Um, because look where I am now. So it it took me a long time to get over that. Um, A really, really long time. And I realized it was during the pandemic that I realized I'd completely gone 360 from that point because in the pandemic, so this time last year, within the space of three weeks, we lost about 90% of our business. Gone, like literally every other email was like, we just got our Q1 results sorry, we're not doing any more PR. Literally, I got scared to open the email because I'm like, oh, what is this going to tell me? Within three weeks, lost 90% of our business. But I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, something great is about to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, And I just knew that I didn't, if this had happened, say, even five or six years ago, I'd have been like, curtains drawn, fecal position, thumb in my mouth, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. But then at the end of the day, with this point, I was like, okay, well, we'll figure it out. We pivoted, we started thinking about how brands should be communicating in the virtual world. We held our own webinars. Before people were doing webinars, April 16th, 2020, we hosted a big webinar. I mean, the webinar we did had, we had like 270 people joining us. Wow. And yeah, it was a big webinar. And through that, next thing you know, come like literally within two months, I had more business than I had before. I was busier last year in the pandemic than I've ever been with my business. Wow. So, um, yeah, busier, like, yeah, way busier. So, but you know, that's because you learn, you learn as you go along. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine because everything is now about how do we craft communications? How do we now become relevant in this space that is all virtual, which is where you fit right in. And so I want to talk a little bit more about the space that you're working in now. So I know there are a couple of things that you're doing now. You're a, you're a professor. So you're teaching Mm -hmm. at NYU. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's one thing I want to touch on. Then Mm -hmm. also your work with African startups. So Mm -hmm. tell us more about some of the trends you're seeing and as you're teaching, you know, how that all melts together to, to um, build your portfolio. Yeah, sure. So I'll start with teaching. So I am a young professor at New York university here in New York. I teach corporate social responsibility, CSR. I teach uh, marketing and communications writing. And I also teach global PR and engagement. And I've been a professor, a joint professor at NYU. This October will be four years. So I started in 2017. Yeah, 2017. So the subject that I teach most frequently is CSR. Hmm. I absolutely love teaching it because 
you really are most of the students. So I teach at the School of Professional Studies. Mm-hmm. So most of the students are executives. They're not undergrads. They're executives from a lot of them from Fortune 100 companies in New York City. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm finding is that more and more of these companies are sending their executives to take this CSR course because they're realizing that or they know we're not realizing that it's not a new realization, but in the last 10 years, brands have become more and more aware of the need to be good corporate citizens. Mm-hmm. If you're not a good corporate citizen, what do I mean by that? That you have values beyond making money. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's like you are a brand, but what are you doing to be, what are you doing to create positive change or positive impact in the world? That's what you, what you mean by being a good corporate citizen. So I really enjoy that because I feel like I am helping support these executives and their firms in being good corporate citizens in giving back. Yeah. Yeah. Giving back. Yeah, exactly. Giving back, but really giving back in a way that, and this is where I'll go into the second part of your question, giving back in a way that makes sense for your business. Mm. If you are a financial company, and you want to give back. You want to give back in a way that you're able to leverage your resources as a financial company and help in a financially impactful way. So are you going to help with financial literacy? Are you going to help young people navigating debt? Are you going to help people become more economically empowered? But you're going to use your tools that you have as a financial institution and use those for good. Rather than doing something, an initiative that's completely you know, sort of a different direction to the kind of business that you have. That makes it harder. And that flips me very nicely into your second part of your question about what trends we're seeing and what we're working on. So since 2017 as well, we've been working more and more in the African tech space. We also work in Africa, you know, our clients now at the moment range from tech to African media entertainment to consumer, a bit of pharma. And in terms of the tech space, as we were saying earlier, before before we started the podcast, you know, tech really is booming in Africa, booming, booming, booming. I mean, you look at like Flutterwave and PayPal, yeah. CUDA, all these, you know, big fundraising announcements that organizations are making. Um, there's a lot going on in tech. And merging sort of me doing CSR, uh, teaching CSR at NYU, having my own company, working in the Africa space, I kept on thinking, Claudine, What is your company doing to be a good corporate citizen? Mm. You're talking about being a good corporate citizen to all of these organizations, Mm -hmm. but you've got an organization. Mm -hmm. What are you doing to be a good corporate citizen? And in uh, 2019, when I was putting together our annual newsletter, I just said, you know, um, in 2020, we're going to be, you know, the last decade was about building the business, but the next decade is about giving back. So next year we'll be announcing our own CSR and our own sort of, you know, our own initiative for giving back. Didn't know what it would be, didn't know what I was going to do, just knew I was going to do it. Um, Fast forward, we created a PR and communications mentorship program called the Future is Female PR and Mentorship Program. It's a mentorship program dedicated to African female tech founders. We launched it on Africa Day 2020 last year. So shout out to Africa.com for working with us on the announcement for that. We basically wanted to support the underserved of the underserved mm-hmm. so African tech founders are underserved female tech founders are underserved Absolutely. i'm a female tech founder mm-hmm. so that's what i mean about doing things giving back in a way that also lends to what you're already doing so i'm a founder myself i'm a female founder i know what that's like to be a woman and 
launching a company and, and maintain a company. So we launched the Futurist Female Mentorship Program. It's a PR and communications program to help female founders leverage PR and communications to raise their visibility, to help them tell their brand story, and to really sort of get them in front of organizations and people and eyeballs that could see about invest, see if they want to invest in them. So you have the right PR and communications as a startup. You will get the attention. You will be able to present your brand story um, and your startup story, and that's going to help you get investments. I mean, it's funny. I got some feedback on Twitter that was like, African female founders are over-mentored and underfunded. (laughs) And I was like, okay, well, you know, I get that. You know, I get that. Okay. But girl, I don't have a check to give anybody, right? I I don't have a tangible check to give anybody, but I can help you get that check. Yeah. And just because you can't give somebody a check doesn't mean you still can't help them on the way to getting that check. Right. And also getting that check and that investment, yes, you need it to build your business, but you should also be purposeful in what you're doing. And, you know, that's what you're going to get to. But in between here and there, there's other things you have to do. And that's where we can help you. So that's what I was so tempted to, like, come back to this person on Twitter that I'm like, I don't want to get Twitter beef. It's not even worth it. But I also understood the energy behind what she said. Yeah. you know, I also understand that, you know, PR and communications is very much something that a lot of entrepreneurs and startups don't really know how to know, how to go about it. Mm-hmm. So in starting that program, we had 139 applications from 19 different countries in Africa. Mm-hmm. We ended up selecting 12 women to be the first inaugural cohort of the program. We had women from Tanzania, Rwanda, Uganda, South Africa, Ghana, Nigeria in the program. I think it was six African programs in the program in the end. Um, They ranged from agriculture to power to artificial intelligence, a really incredible group of women. And and they they went through our our program, which basically we gave them one-on-one sessions on digital communications, on storytelling, on PR and communications, on personal branding. And those women then went on to get featured. So the program itself was featured in a host of different publications. And then our mentees were then themselves, their businesses were featured in publications. And some of them have actually gone on to partner within themselves. So some of our mentees Mm. within the program. Mm -hmm. So really the program has kind of blew up because next thing you know, I got a message from somebody saying, you know, this is the first time there's ever been a PR and communications mentorship program for African female founders. And I was like, no, I didn't know it was the first time, but it was the first time. So, you know, whether it was we were featured in Venture Burn, Tech Cabal, Disrupt Africa, Tech Point Africa, like we were featured in a lot of publications. And we are, I was really actually quite blown away and quite emotional about the impact that we were having on these 12 women. Because the first time we had the first part of the mentorship program is a masterclass with myself. So the screen came up, I have these 12, you know, women from across Africa and I'm doing, you know, to me that filled me with so much joy to sit in front of a group of women that, you know, looked like me, felt like me and were just wanted more, you know, just needed support in PR and communication. And so I was so happy to do that because again, doing something that's doing something, something to give back that lends to what you already do makes it an easy thing to give back. It's mm-hmm. easy to be 
masterclass mm-hmm. on PR communications. I've been doing it for 15 plus years. Mm-hmm. But to do it to, to for women who you know are then going to have an impact in their community with their startups filled me with joy more than I've ever can experience in my business life. So what I'm excited about is that this year, 2021, we're expanding the program. We're going to be partnering with a VC. Don't know which one yet, but we're partnering with a VC firm and we're partnering with a media outlet to scale the program. Nice. And our aim this year is to double the intake of mentees and also double the number of applicants we get, applications we get. So um, that was, you know, so in terms of the trends that we're seeing, more and more women are getting visibility in the African tech space. Nice. And at the beginning of this year, there was two really big announcements. I think it's Sarah Menker from Grow Intel. She did a Series B funding raise, but she got 85 million for her Series B. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest Series B ever in Africa for an African person mm-hmm. and for a black woman globally. 85 mm-hmm. million for her. And then Air Protein, I can't remember the lady's name, but Air Protein also secured a record number, a record amount for her series, her funding announcement as well. I can't remember if it was a Series A or B, to be honest. I'm sorry about that. I can't remember. I don't want to misquote. But the point is, is that not only is African tech getting more visibility, but African female tech founders, there's more and more initiatives that are popping up to support them. So you've now got First Check, which is an initiative that has been created in the last couple of months, whereby they are focusing on giving angel funding to ridiculously early startups. Hmm. And that started like in the last few months that started. That's First Check. That's the dedicated towards women. So what you're seeing now is more initiatives coming up that are focused on African female tech founders. And so us launching our program last year in Africa Day was right on time. I wasn't yeah. doing it because it was a trend. I was just doing it because I saw a need and I saw a gap in the market and decided to do it. Now we're pulling, we're pulling more and more out. So yay for yeah. us. Yay for yeah, us. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm very, I'm very passionate about doing that. And we're building a community. So We'll put that in the show notes. So we'll put all of those companies as well as the the mentorship program. Yeah. Any other resources around that that we should highlight? There's lots going on now to support African female tech founders. Ingressive for Good, they're another org. They're they're part of Ingressive Capital. Ingressive mm. for Good are also doing. Um, they've got an initiative to support female founders. Okay. So that's great. Okay. Okay. So. Let me slide into my mindset hack question because mm-hmm. we're <laughs> we're talking about changing, you know, the landscape of tech in Africa. And so I want to ask you, what is your favorite or an innovative mindset hack? Now, this is one that you can imagine or one that you know of. One thing's a physical thing and one thing's a spiritual thing. Mm-hmm. The physical thing is that I literally, because for me, the way that manifests, what you just now described, the way that manifests with me is that I get very like, my mind is just all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's here, it's there, it's everywhere. It's like my mind is just a massive noise. And so what I have to do, and that can raise my anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I have to do is literally a physical thing. I literally stop what I'm doing, find or either step outside if that's possible into the fresh air or just step by a window if it's not possible to go outside. And I just literally stop and I just breathe and I count from mm-hmm. 10 downwards and I literally mm-hmm. just breathe and count 10 9 8 and so on sure and that really it sounds like a really simple thing but my god that pause is important and that countdown is so yeah. important it's just like yeah. pause and breathe 
Yeah. Because 10 seconds doesn't sound very long, but my God, when you're, when your mind is like, and just buzzing and crazy, that 10 seconds is long enough. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so, so that's something physically that I do. Mm-hmm. So what I would say, what I do spiritually is that I pray. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a Christian and, and my faith is very important to me. And so I pray, I pray for discernment. I pray for clarity. I pray for resilience. I also pray for patience. And I also pray a lot to ensure that, you know, giving great, a sufficient amount of grace to other people, mm. um, grace for, to other people, especially in this climate that we're living in now, mm-hmm. grace to my team, grace to you just people generally, because people are going through a lot right now. Mm-hmm. And when you're in the throes of business and work, we can all get very impatient. We can get annoyed. We can have all of those things. But I think now more than ever, especially with this pandemic and everyone dealing with so much, I pray to give people more and more grace to be and feel whatever they're going through in that moment and to not take it personally. Mm-hmm. Um, because people are dealing with a lot at the moment, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to have an interaction with somebody, whether it's a stranger, a family member, a loved one, your partner, etc., and for you to forget like what everybody's dealing with at the moment. So just also to giving, you know, the same way you want people to afford you grace, you make sure you're affording people a lot of grace as well. So I guess that's it. It sounds very simple, but it's two very powerful things. The power of prayer and the power of literally of breathing. Nice. Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. I say thank you for gracing us with your presence. <laughs> no problem. Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful yes, um, yes, experience yes. with you, Florence. Yes. You've asked so many interesting questions that have really got me thinking about so many things in certain ways, like um, especially like talking to you about teaching CSR and then our own CSR program. Of course, I knew that you know that was my train of thought in thinking about why I wanted to start a program, but but I don't often verbalize that. So mm-hmm. talking it through with you has been really, it's been very uh, interesting. Nice. And it's been, uh, yeah, this nice. is, you've asked some great questions. Thank you. Thank you. So we're getting to the end of our conversation. I like to just ask one last question that kind of gets into who you are, right? So we know, Claudine, the the businesswoman who's, you know, strong and powerful and and moving and taking across the globe. But I like Mm. to ask, um, like in that downtime, first I ask, are you a reader? Are you a watcher? Mm -hmm. Are you a listener? Like, which would do Mm -hmm. more of in your spare time? Reading and listening. Okay. So what are you reading lately? What is what are some good reads that you can share? Um, I'm reading. What am I reading lately? Okay, so I'm reading. There's a book that I'm reading at the moment about blockchain. Mm, okay, which is okay. Uh, an interesting book. There's another book that I'm reading, and I don't want to get the title wrong. It's actually a really good book, and I, I, uh-huh. I'm just gonna have a quick. Uh, it's, I can't remember if it's if it's. I'm gonna get it wrong. It's like Dancing with the Devil. Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. And basically it's Napoleon Napoleon Hill saying he had a conversation with the devil and he had a conversation about outwitting the devil. So you have to decide as a reader, do you think it was a, a real conversation he's having with the devil mm-hmm. or do you think it was just, it's, you know, like it was a just fabrication. It was a it's a fabrication, yeah. and, and, but you have to decide that. You decide that. But that's, yeah, that's Outwitting the Devil is the book that I'm reading right now. Thank you for that. It's actually yeah. a really fascinating book. I yeah, have to he, say. he's an interesting writer. Like I read one that he spoke to business moguls and I think it was something about like changing your mindset or something. He spoke to all the, mm. like the Rockefellers and just chronicled all of that. Yes. So 
yeah. he interviewed all of them. He interviewed yeah. like tons of billionaires and millionaires. Exactly. Yeah, he represented that in this book. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And he was asking how you got to be successful. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. He references that in this book, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Outwitting the devil. That's it. I, huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So we'll have that yeah. in the show notes, folks. Yeah. So as we go, do you have any last words for our listeners? Any last words for listeners? I would say don't ever be afraid to be different, ever mm-hmm. be afraid to be different. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean social media different. I mean like different in real life. Don't mm-hmm. ever, ever, ever be afraid of that. And I would tell people we are living in a, we're living in quite dangerous times where there's a lot of mis and disinformation going around. Mm-hmm. I would advise people to get their information and resources from multiple places whether that's information you're getting about spiritual information, business information, news information about current affairs, make sure that you're you're drawing your, yeah. Yeah, you're fact checking and you're getting it from multiple sources because depending on what information you're seeking, that could be detrimental to your spiritual health, your mental health, your physical health, etc. So I would just say, you know, always think critically, think critically and get information from multiple sources and don't just read the headlines yeah. don't just read the headlines yeah people seem to be you know reading the headlines or reading memes and that's where they're getting the news from the headlines and the memes the headlines mm-hmm. and the memes mm-hmm. not only read the article but also read the sources that are quoted in the article mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's really yeah, read the sources that are quoted in the article. If they quote a book, go to that book mm-hmm. because what that interpretation is that person is giving you is based on their agenda, mm-hmm. it's based on their thinking. You have to, you know, think for yourself and think critically. And so I really advise people that this whole miss and disinformation, it is actually um, going to get worse. And it's going, not only is it going to get worse, it's going to be more, have more of a negative impact on all of us if we're not careful. So you have to really think critically, um, think more about what isn't being said versus what is being said. Mm -hmm. So you hear what's being said, fine. What isn't being spoken about? Mm -hmm. Because what isn't being mentioned and what isn't being spoken about is often the real big issue. Right. Yeah. We're in the pandemic. All they talk about is social distancing. All they talk about is wearing masks. Both of those things are very, very important. But my God, why aren't people talking more about, you know, eating less processed food? Mm. Why aren't people talking more about exercise? The people who are suffering the most from this pandemic mm-hmm. are people who, you know, elderly, elderly, and so on and so forth. The people who have comorbidities, including things, diabetes, kidney disease, you know, all these things that a lot of them are related to food. So mm-hmm. I don't hear a lot of these governmental bodies focusing and talking to the populations a lot about increasing your natural vitamins and minerals and lifestyle yeah less processed food more more you know greens berries you know and that sort of thing you know food of the land why aren't they talking about that as much why aren't they talking about building your immune system as much Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'll leave that question out there but that's just an example of seeking information um yourself right Right. getting the the fuller story thank you for that 
Thank you for that. Claudine, it's been so wonderful talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. And um, listeners, we'll have rich show notes once again with contact information for Claudine, where you can find her on all her socials and her wonderful company website, which is gorgeous. And um, yeah, so you can reach us every Tuesday with a new episode at www.glocalcitizenspod.com on Apple, Google, Amazon, Verbal, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, you can get your podcast. Please do subscribe and leave us a comment. It really helps people find the podcast. So please, please, please do that. We love to hear from you. So until next time, bye for now. Thank you.